The Tablet Show, episode 51, with guest Scott Stanfield. Recorded live Monday, September 24th, 2012. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Scott Stanfield about user interactive design. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Salt Lake City! Welcome to .NET Rocks! We've never we've never done a show for five hundred thousand people before. It's amazing. Who knew there were so many folks in Utah? Yeah, great. I had no idea. Great state. We love it. I'm blown away. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful scenery. Yeah, all day yesterday to get here too. Oh, geez, yeah, thirteen, fourteen hours of driving straight. Something like that, yeah, from Portland, Oregon. Anyway, we're here with our very good friend, Mr. Scott Stanfield. Hello. Good evening. Who went well over his allotted time, yes. but had us all enraptured about stuff we never thought we cared about. Yeah. <laughs> and you still don't. <laughs> Hacking design. Design for geeks. This is sort of your milieu. Yes. Somebody has to do it. Yeah. Um, what's the story with this clock on the wall behind us? So we're, we're displaying a beautiful Helvetian. Helvetican? Helvetican. Helvetican. Uh, clock which is apparently trademarked by the Swiss Transportation Authority. Hmm. And they are one of many in line to sue Apple for various things. But you can see it's a, it's a beautifully rendered uh, font. Uh, font. Jeez, you can tell what's on my mind. Oh, did you see it click? Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> well, you know, I think... I, just, I, I think you pay extra for that. It's a digital clock that clicks. Well, yes. and you pay extra, obviously. You know, it seems like if you're not suing Apple for some design infringement, you're not doing design right. <laughs> <laughs> or if Apple's not suing you. Or one or the other. One or the other. So, you, isn't that crazy that you people are patenting designs and uh, getting away with it? Well, I guess it's, it's, it's probably... It's an implementation detail of a real physical clock that mm-hmm. behaves this way with the sweeping second. And I think that behavior where it snaps in, but you know, it's a pretty distinctive timepiece and it's licensed. I was in, happened to be in Switzerland last month and you can buy, you know, this watch and I'm sure they make a little bit of money as, cause the Swiss don't have enough of our money, but it's yeah, very nice. That's piece. Funny, actually. Yes. So, uh, but what is, what is the story with design patents? The, I, it comes down to rounded corners. There's a patent. Apple has a patent on rounded corners. It's awkward. Really? Well, it was the whole Aqua interface that came out, what, about seven years ago with those, hmm. the candy-like buttons? I mean, literally, Jobs said, I want to be able, I want to be compelled to lick the screen. And the designers went away thinking, what the heck is he, <laughs> is he thinking? Um, and they came up with the whole Aqua look and feel, which was mimicked heavily with the uh, Web 2.0 uh, type generators, you know, the logo generators. So yeah. yeah. You take it and you flip it over and give it a little shadow and a little, then there's some, there's a whole there's series like of like Photoshop of... tutorials. Yeah. Like quick, quick and dirty ways of, of making that color. And that's kind of been stripped out. Um, it's still present in the, the close, minimize, maximize buttons, but mm-hmm. you don't really see it a lot, which is good. It was kind of gratuitous. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. You don't need to look at pictures of candy all day. 
But does it really come down to rounded corners? I mean, do they really have a patent? Well, rounded corners and drop shadows. That's every the cornerstone of modern and these are technology. Patents. Like you cannot have a device with rounded corners. I don't know about that. Yeah, I just That's I just I try to keep a low profile and hope we never run afoul of a patent because they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like if you want to pick a fight, you can. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we're gonna we're probably violating a patent right now. That's what I was <laughs> just thinking. The Carlin, uh, the uh, Carlin. I must say, Carlin Gary's logo. Wow, there's a flashback. The .NET Rocks logo uh, for the road trip. You know, I wonder if you know it looks too much like, like if somebody else uses the same font as uh, you. No, like this is a parade font. You know. Is there a patent on using the parade font? Somewhere? No, but it's a piece of art that someone's copyrighted. I mean, it's an original piece of. I mean, there's a copyright behind that typeface. Yeah, and so it's, it has to be licensed, and which which makes it really hairy to use fonts on the web. Um, we're still stuck with the original. See, in 1996, Microsoft released the core web font package, and it included a couple, three typefaces by Matthew Carter. We talked about earlier, uh, mm-hmm. Georgia Verdana. And Verdana's narrow cousin Tahoma, mm-hmm. and then well, the other Comic Sans, of course. Thank you very Yay. much, Microsoft, mm-hmm. and uh, Arial, and Thanks, a couple Bob. other good ones. Hmm. But those were commissioned pieces of work that Microsoft—I wouldn't say open source, but just threw out there. Mm-hmm. And of you know of that, the only good one we have is Georgia. And what's on my mind? Yeah, <laughs> nice. What's that is a good type Georgia. Yeah. What's good about Georgia? It's just—it's a nice change from. Well, it's only one of two web fonts that we have serifs, decent ones. There's Times New Roman. And the serif is the little thing on the edge. It's a little doodad. Yeah. But I, I understand that the, the point of the serif was to make it more readable. It is. It is. It's like yeah. little, like on a bowling alley and you pop up those little rails on either side. Yeah. It kind of helps your eye just kind of catch on and hook to the letter forms and mm. helps to balance out the spacing, the ink on the page. Mm. I like serifs. But I if, like serifs. If serifs are so powerful, why aren't all fonts serifed? Now, why doesn't Windows 8 use serifs, for example? Yeah. Well, there's, there's other non-serif. There are semi-serif fonts or slab fonts, which are kind of in between. Or there's or slab is probably I think slab with slab fonts. There's woodcut type. There's all kinds of stuff, and so it's easy to look for the serifs and think that's the major classification between type. Mm-hmm. Look at me. It looks like I'm a designer, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. You're getting that way. Wow. But there's a lot more. I mean, there's there's the the black type that we the black what's it called the German stuff the German stuff type. That's a whole other world of type. But um, I don't know. I mean, it was this Swiss again in the 40s and 50s really got us all hooked on sans serif typefaces like right. Helvetica. No serifs. Yeah, no right. serifs. Sans. But the, the two can dance nicely. I mean, Helvetica paired up with Georgia looks really good. Hmm. And Helvetica and Ariel, their relationship, I know you may have told yeah. this tale before. Ariel is a poor cousin to Helvetica. Is that so? Yes. They look the same to me. They just look for the T. Look for the wedge-shaped T. That looks like a chisel. I just don't the stare at T's that closely. But now you will. That's that's the that's, that's the I power. I do not need another obsessive behavior, Scott. <laughs> Thank you. I have plenty of them. It's like song poisoning. It's type poisoning. So you I see Ariel every. Oh well, you see Ariel, but you definitely see Helvetica everywhere. I want to get back to this idea of licensing fonts. Now, obviously, Microsoft has paid a license to use fonts in Windows, mm-hmm. and when you buy, you know, Adobe, whatever it is, After Effects, Premiere, or, or Photoshop, or Corel Draw or any of those things that come with a bazillion fonts, they have already prepaid licenses to use those fonts. Yes. So, so uh, anything that you create with them is covered for print. <laughs> but if you distribute that typeface on the web, if you distribute not, the typeface. Yes, because it's a binary file. If you distribute the font, oh, the, the instance font, of the typeface, yeah, yeah. 
then you're probably violating your EULA. Right. And it's a real problem. So the whole world. That's why it's very hard to download fonts. Yeah, it is. Well, and, until recently. So CSS3 kind of now finally supports a certain kind of type specification with uh, OpenType. Mm. Google's done um, a really interesting job by paying designers a poor amount of money to generate mediocre typefaces and putting them up there. <laughs> There's a couple of good ones, but putting them up there at google.com uh, slash, I think it's just fonts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can then choose the typefaces you want. You can choose, like, go pick a typeface and say, I just want bold or I want italic, different weights. And as you're choosing them, it'll tell you your your page, uh, the, the weight, what's this? How much, like, additional download time yeah. your page will incur to pull right. those down. Hmm. But... The the font files themselves are stored and distributed on the Google CDN, mm. which is a big big bonus. But the choices aren't great. Where Typekit, which was recently purchased by Adobe, they have a ton of really nice typefaces, but you pay a, a decent fee. Yeah, um, you can pay a subscription fee at Adobe right now called the Creative Cloud, mm. which allows you great. fifty we, bucks a month. It's fantastic. It. Fifty bucks All a month, you get it. access to every app that they sell. Yep. Um, and that and includes a certain amount of typefaces that you serve on the web. That includes what we use, which is Audition and Premiere yeah. and uh, Photoshop, everything. It's a it's a great business model. It is. It's for individuals right now, not for corporate use, but right. it's uh, it's pretty slick. And then there's Font Squirrel, which is a nice collection where you go and click choose the typeface and you download a zip file, which has an HTML file, the CSS tweaks that you need to use some finally decent typefaces. But you don't need a lot of typefaces. That The typeface Georgia, mm. right, was it Georgia? No, it was Garamond. Uh, there's a publishing house um, run by Dave Eggers, who's a Pulitzer Prize winner, at least, or should be. Um, modern, prolific writer. And his publishing house is committed to only using Garamond hmm. forever. I mean, you you don't need a lot of typefaces. You might need right. like three. Once you've got Comic Sans, what else is there? <laughs> <laughs> well, if all your printing is the "Hello, I lost my kitty" you know, poster, <laughs> you know, lost kitten, it's perfect. But for yeah, most cases, it why might is be a it better... we hate Comic Sans quite so much? Because we hate Microsoft Bob. Is that yes. where it came from? Well, it, it was supposed to ship with Bob, but it did not. They missed the cut. Neither did instead, Bob. it got bundled into you know the web. With the web uh, right. fonts from Microsoft in 1996. And like I was saying earlier, it's actually a fairly decent looking font when displayed at like 10 or 12 point mm. on an aliased display. But we don't have alias displays anymore mm. that mm. we use. Um, and then it's just, you know, it's just that one typeface that just screamed bake sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just don't... I, I mean, I appreciate that there are pages I look at that I really like and pages I look at that I don't like that make it harder to read. Yeah. I'm just not sure what it is that goes on Next time you next time you're reading a, a website or or even reading a print magazine and you're finding yourself annoyed by the type, step back and blur your eyes and squint at it and see is there an evenness of ink displayed across the run of text? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's some of the open space like in, in the E. The E has two chambers, the upper part and the lower part. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if they're out of whack, then you have to compensate with the thickness of the stroke. And Comic Sans doesn't do that. It's the same like you took a big rat, a uh, big fat sharpie, and just drew it with a marker. I mean, it's it's a good marker typeface. I it's don't think I've ever th- had a thought like no. this type is really annoying me. Yeah, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> well, it, it could be the spacing between the lines is not correct. The spacing between the letters is not right. The spacing between the words is not right, or the measure is too long. The only thing that really annoys me is when the there's so much you know baroque ceremony around the font that you can't read it. You know, either the contrast is bad. Or there's too much, you know, just too yeah. too crazy. This postmodern um, postmodern influence from this magazine called Immigre, 
which is from around 1995, plus or minus a couple years. And they, uh, influential set of designers in San Francisco, a pair of people started this really cool magazine. Does anybody remember Immigre? I am definitely talking to the wrong audience. Yeah, you know, okay. yeah. You're the only one who's seen this magazine. I mean, it was like there was a whole set of grunge fonts that came up around the same time. Hmm. And the the two together, and they just threw out every rule of typography and created some really crazy, completely unlegible stuff. Yeah. Awesome. But it was avant-garde typefaces. It's the sign of the 70-year-old the guy who puts out his own acoustic solo folk album font. Yeah. You yeah. know? It's the same. And, it, and it's so decorative that you can't read it. You're know, like, I wonder what that is. You know, it's green and italic and every, you know, every stroke has like seven or eight lines. Well, for the people listening to this, I mean, we're all, we specialize not in persuasive design or art, you know, or art design for art's sake. Mm. We specialize in, in taking someone's vision to create some kind of information package. Information design mm-hmm. is our space. It's task oriented. We don't really have room for that. But mm. occasionally we do have room for just a little bit of flair. Does anyone here use Adobe Lightroom? Again, couple of people. Oh, okay. So in Adobe Lightroom, there's there's some dead space on the screen when the tool palette doesn't fill all the way down, and you can choose the ornamental type, the ornamental text, the 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 glyph that's displayed in that lower corner, and it's such a nice little touch, and it's completely unnecessary, right. but it really balances out that space and gives you something kind of cool to look at, and you can choose it. Not a happy, it's like a dingbat basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and you can choose which one you want. And and as uh, so, type designers like to choose. For instance, when they're hemmed in by um, a type designer, you know, a design standard for a company that says you have to use Garamond or or Palatino or something else, but they might have control over what ampersand to use. So mm-hmm. they will go and pluck out a really nice looking ampersand, maybe from the italic version of the typeface, or stick in. There's a word for it, but I forget. But you know, those little backwards P's to indicate a new paragraph. Oh mm-hmm. right, yeah, yeah. A didot, I think. But there's different ways you can go and still drop in a little bit of flair and character. Because for the most part, as a developer, uh, even in this fancy new modern app Win8 world, uh, my fonts have largely been dictated to me. It's it's to go all the way, right? And yeah. they look great. I and mean, let me and be it's specific. Not, not just because it's I'm nice. a Microsoft guy, they yeah. look great. With the Windows 8 stuff looks amazing. It's it's great. I mean, they took type gets and out made of the it, way. I mean, a lo- there's a lot of thought from the design community that talks about typography as UI. Mm-hmm. It really, really is crucial to user interface. And Microsoft must have been listening because when they were developing Metro, they've really flattened a lot of the three-dimensionality. Right. There is a careful attention to color, I believe. I'm not sure. But there is definitely seems to be a tone to the color for the tiles and a very nice grid-based layout. Um, it's funny that you talk about the color because that's one thing that I found obnoxious about Win 8 in general is that default start screen. Yeah. You know, it, it looks like somebody chewed a bunch of Lego blocks and spit them out. Well, yeah, you can choose your color. There doesn't seem to be any theme, rhyme, or reason, to rhyme the, or reason to the to color. Yeah. The default. I mean, yeah. that's the whole thing. It's like yeah. talking about the sort of out of box experience of Win 8, mm-hmm. the first time it shocks you is when that comes up. Yeah. I'm sure it was a very conscious choice and the other strange thing i got to talk to mark miller about this who uh thinks they made some design flubs uh in particular color contrast seems to be completely out the door Mm -hmm. i mean especially when when you have tiles but isn't that sort of just a manifestation of you've got all these different applications they just at some point have to look different from each other well it is definitely just hodgepodge of color because when you have a hot red 
on a particular background next to blue yeah. and you have white text on blue or blue text on white. I mean, but when you're, these dis- when you're designing they, your tile, yeah. you don't know what background color that's it's right. going to be up against. So yeah. you could have maroon on maroon and it would just disappear. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. Really. I think it's, it's going to be a, I mean, it's, look, they have plenty of other issues. They probably yeah. don't care too much about this, right, but right. it'd be a problem for me. Yeah. I want it to look beautiful. Presumably it's adjustable. I think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, we spent a lot of our lives in front of these devices. Yeah. I want it to look nice. I want yeah. their, I mean, this is where the fit and finish of an application is really present. This portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. Well, when you think about, you I mean, just talking about type in general, but our job building line of business apps or apps that people have to interact with every day, the font shouldn't be the feature. The type shouldn't be the feature. Mm-hmm. Don't hit me. It should disappear. Mm. It should disappear. Yeah. It's about the data, right? We're yeah. trying to create apps that are as low friction as possible. It's all about possible. content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's expressed in type. And the relationship of the, of the information dots, which is letters or graphs, r- relative to all the other negative space on the page. And Edward Tufte is kind of the go-to guy on that, mm-hmm. even though his background is more towards print design and not information and mm. in, in, in not interaction design, but more mm-hmm. information design for, for print. But there's yeah. some really fascinating things to learn from there. And you start reading it, and you're really afraid to do anything once you start yeah. reading all this yeah. stuff. As near as I can tell, all I can do is make a mistake from here. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. if you use, you know, the, 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 the general thing, my what I'm trying to do is Georgia is my default typeface for mm-hmm. body text. 16 point, 1.5 M letting. So there's a nice little bit of space and have letting no more, the gap between the lines. Yeah, the gap between the lines and maybe have about 600 pixels of width mm-hmm. and maybe 400 pixels of, of width for the text, the measure, if you're on a small device. Mm-hmm. And it, those, those, that looks really good to me. But you know, as a guy who's built software for a really long time, every time I look at these screens, I feel like they're wasting a lot of space. Well, space is something that we're not lacking. I mean, space is, spatial relationship is very important when you have a fixed constraint like a page, mm-hmm. for example, a page or in a, a book, form. or a cockpit display mm-hmm. where you're probably not going to be scrolling. But for the most part, we're dealing, if you're dealing with content on a web app, that's one thing. But if it's an app, you're right. Mm-hmm. We have a different issue mm-hmm. because you tend to not be, you're not scrolling around necessarily in an app. Well, I think you are. I think the app is the one place where you do scroll around. You, uh, you, there, there's this idea of infinite space. And so the space that's on the screen at any one time should be, should not feel overcrowded. Is this, is there a limitation? I can't remember if it was the Xbox UI or Metro that you can only go linearly. You can't do two dimensions. It's like left to right or top to bottom, but not both. Oh. 
There's some no, navigational metaphor. Definitely that's not missing. Windows Store apps. There's you a dimension that's ways. missing. It's going to be hard to figure out what to put where. Mm-hmm. It's now now you have like hierarchy of information. But I think a lot of us are just wanting to defer those things. Let Microsoft decide. Give us the mm-hmm. templates. We don't want to own any of this. Yeah. You know, Give us templates that we can use. Yeah, yeah I think that's a real mistake because I know how those templates are generated. They're generated <laughs> by PMs with a twenty thousand dollar budget, and they send out an RFP and say we want six templates. You know, for the typical line of business app comma, media entertainment app, comma, a social media app, comma, and something else. Mm. Uh, and being, I mean, we actually built one of these, so. Mm. <laughs> we probably got paid a little bit more than that, but we did build like the reference app for, for media entertainment. It's mm-hmm. hard, but it's hard to build a default app. It goes so counter to what we believe in um, from the user experience space. Mm-hmm. You can't just take an app and cram your crap in the, into That's right. it and have it make sense. I mean, I know, it worked I tried. for Northwind for years. Yes, I know. That was... I, I tried. Yes. You know, and it, it, I had to start over. I had to start You ended up very kludgy. Instead, it's, it'd be easier for you to step back and take an inventory of mm. your data and your tasks and say what's important to the user and what's the, the least amount of friction to get there with the smallest amount of adornment. This is something we've been saying for a long time. Write it with the least amount of code as possible. Mm-hmm. And the the w- measure of, of the strength was how few lines of code was necessary to make it work. Right. Yeah. So but then the you can understand time, it and build on it. There are only so many interaction metaphors. There are only so many controls in the eight space. Like In theory, we should be able to lay down a certain number of elements that, that make this work. The template should pull that together for us. Yeah. Well, I, I there is something really new to all this, and that's touch. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our, the way that we think about user UI is driven by the mouse and the keyboard. But now you have, like, I just gave a 60-slide presentation in 40 minutes, mm-hmm. and it was all composed with no keyboard. It was just, it was done on uh, the, can I say this? Yeah. yeah. It's done on, done with Keynote on the iPad. Mm-hmm. <gasps> all right, we'll edit that Collective out. Collective gas. It's yeah. one of the finest pieces of software I've ever used. Yeah. It's a totally it's different way uh, to think yeah. about yes. composing presentations. And I've, not that I own an iPad, but... Uh, I have watched you do this before. Oh, yeah. You're looking over my shoulder five minutes before I'm supposed to speak. Yeah. It's like he's still dropping in images. Still, <laughs> But the way the, the interface is such a different... It, you, it's almost like they sat down and said, how would we do this in a way that PowerPoint could never even conceive of? Mm-hmm. It's it's utterly different way of or composing. Just well, a less application-centric and more task-centric way. Well, the, the, this particular tool is very different from, say, PowerPoint with a keyboard and mouse. Mm-hmm. And that tool should, and it will influence the way you do things. Just like... The old cuneiform type. See, it's going back to type. Nice. Cuneiform and clay tablets with reeds. When they made their, their, the glyphs, it was done by inserting that into the clay and letting it dry. But that left little kind of wedges and angles, which became serifs later on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if it were done in a different way with just like a pointy stick, a round stick instead of a, a wedge, or like with a brush, you would end up with something completely different. So here's a case where the tool is really dictating the way right. well, and you I have, communicate. I mean, the other side of Sarif's was the was the stone chiseling. Yes. That these characteristics of type are actually artifacts of the mm-hmm. tools used. That's right. The problem is we now got we're just organizing electrons. Yeah. So we keep taking some of the same concepts and which don't apply. But doing something like keynote, I mean I really encourage you guys, how many of you have given presentations for PowerPoint? Half like the room, three yeah, quarters of the room. Three quarters of the room. Now yeah, how many of you have used Keynote? Not Keynote on a Mac, but Keynote on an iPad. It's a different experience. None. None. I encourage you to see how someone, how you, because if you really brute force PowerPoint into it, it would be pretty bad. It'd be brutal. But 
especially with the use of imagery, it's so easy to drop in an image and crop it and mask it and shrink it. Really hard to do that with a mouse. It's much easier yep. to have direct manipulation of text and imagery with your fingers by dragging around. So it really it would help you think about taking an existing app like a movie editor. What would that look like oh, on, yeah. on, on a little tablet? Or a, or a big touchscreen. Yeah, or a big touchscreen, exactly. And it will change the way you build the UI. It's very, it's fun to, I mean, it's just moving slides around. You just hold it down and it starts gyrating. So it's active and you can just drag it around. And, but it's just certain mm. small things just work really well. Have we, do you think Microsoft's moved too much? Would it have made more sense to not go touch at the same time as changing so much of the, User interaction experience, like well, they have they have they have one piece of software. I don't know what they're doing. I don't. I mean, there's you you have like the start screen, but yeah. you still have the back door shoot. Well, into I, the I understand that 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 to me is you know living with the reality of your customer base and that you you can't take everything away at once. Microsoft's actually, I think, done a pretty good job of maintaining compatibility to the point where most of us focus on the few times they haven't. I, I'm ready for them to dump compatibility. Can yeah. we just? I mean, can we just do that once? I, I, well, one, I, well once they will every, with the ARM. Is that what the ARM tablet's about? Once every yeah. thirty decade, thirty years, just yeah. say we're going to draw a line, start over, and do it right. And we're not going to have any backwards compatibility. We're not going to have Okie Data Daisy Wheel printer drivers anymore. Yeah, we're just going to start over. I and saw that's one what, just the other day. That's what yeah. a, you know. I don't want to say it, but Apple's able to get away with it, maybe because they have a much smaller market share. Yeah, we have a question but from that the audience. Changing. You know, it's just been 30 years since the since the PC came out, almost. Yeah. So you're saying this is the time to do it? Well, because the PC era is over, apparently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it used to be Windows.h. That was the file you needed, and maybe GDI, and that was it. And Back in still, my day. There's still remnants of that in the way we, we program. And, so, and what, so what do you think of the ARM tablet as uh, no desktop mode, just pure I didn't, Windows I didn't. Store um, apps? I look at it like, what, what would I get... That's my, pretty much my starting over. Because mm-hmm. where, where would I get my in-laws? Because th- these things are now at a price point that they're basically giftable yep. or disposable, especially when you get down to the $200 mm-hmm. range. Um, and they become something that you, as the d- technology decision maker for your family, you could literally seed into you know, the world. And hopefully it's going to be something that's easier to support and easier yeah. for them to use. Like my whole family will now be using Nexi. Yeah, because exactly. I'm handing them out at Christmas. Yeah, this yeah. is so. This is about you know. It's the gift that gives back to me. We're almost at the point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Less tech support calls. I've, uh, well, and I, I, you know, I recently did a show on the run-ass side. Was talking about the other side of the ARM tablet. Just recognizing that the the big thing with the App Store is this concept of whitelisting. Of the only way to get apps into this device is through this carefully curated and filtered facility, which means no crap on this machine. There's just no way for it right. to get there. And that, from our perspective as the people who are the tech support for our families, is a pretty big deal. That's a good thing. I, I've The problem that we face with the boomers retiring and getting access to this magic, the, these problems are so deep that mm-hmm. no amount of software will, help, will ever help. Because I've, have you ever tried to walk someone through the phone of connecting to a Wi-Fi? Yeah. And entering a password. Mm. Or downloading an app. Or copying and pasting. <laughs> it's really difficult to do. So let alone more advanced concepts. I mean... But I think this is where the app stores take it on the app install process in a way that... that helps a lot. Yes. That people can deal with. Yeah. That is a big deal. And that the best Wi-Fi solution I've seen yet was the initiative that the, the Wi-Fi could sort of put together where it's basically, I push a button on this device, I push a button on that device, and because they can see each other, they do the rest. 
But they forgot about the little security hole. Yeah, there's an itty bitty little security little, hole little where that's problem. always yeah. exploitable. Yeah, I just did it yeah. showing that. Um, We're talking about ease of use here, man. Yeah. They've definitely nailed the ease Turn of use. Turn off the firewall. It's that yeah. simple. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything just works. But I you just feel like, to me, we're moving into an interesting era. I just feel like we may have changed too many parts at once. This design metaphor clearly supports touch, but because it also requires touch, we're also undermining a whole bunch of stuff we already knew and, and expect as well. Well, Microsoft, no doubt, is trying to catch up to through the wake that Apple's created. Sure. Very quickly. And in their, their zealousness to... First of all, they have a much longer dev cycle. They have hundreds of channel partners to satisfy. Mm-hmm. Thousands of large EAs, which is where they get their money. They have a lot of moving parts that Apple's not saddled with. Mm-hmm. And not to mention the fact, Apple controls their production pipeline. Yeah. Their, their machines themselves. So Microsoft is a real challenge, and I, I applaud them for coming out with their own Surface. By the way, I have a Surface already. It's 150 pounds and costs 15 grand. <laughs> so I have two of services. them, if you would like one. Yeah. The old the style old service. service. Yes. What are they calling that now? Pixel Sense or Pixel Sense. Pixel Sense. Yes. Wasn't that the Wasn't that the code name or the Surface Two? I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's the it's the big tablet. Big tablet. We will not be giving one of those away. No. no. For the DNR fan and they, You know, club. God bless Microsoft. They stuck to that object recognition where the world just wanted capacitive touch. Mm. Yeah. But now they wanted to do it with visual recognition, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting feature that I've yet to see solve an awesome problem. Yeah. yeah. It's we, good at what it does, which is kiosks. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a couple in the hard rock. Yeah, hotel, they're, 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 you're not they're using in, the objects. No, I mean, that's no. A, so much of, yeah, this, of the original Surface was about being able to put a physical object down on it. Yeah. I've yet to see a really compelling app for well, that. Come to the Mystic Aquarium, I'll show you one. So yeah. they're putting objects on the screen. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. I mean, as long as somebody's doing it. Yeah, the five people. Both guys. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? When you stand around, I said this before, you stand around the people at the Mystic Aquarium using the Surface, and they go, oh, it's like a big iPad. <laughs> and I think it was for A kitten is strangled the, in Redmond. Yeah. iPad. Yeah. Uh, we're living a fun time. I mean, we, let, we got all this touch stuff to deal with, and mm-hmm. then now we've got Connect. And trying to program against that. Well, and it, a part of me is wondering if touch was just an interim step to gesture. That we're going to pass through touch pretty quickly. We we if you walk outside of my office at Vertigo, we have some testers right there, and you hear them constantly saying, "Xbox, play video. Xbox, stop. Right. Xbox, pause. I just want to hand them a controller. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a time where you just want a tactile input. Yeah. Stop talking. Stop talking. But it, to its credit, it actually time, works really, really well. There's a time for all of those things. I don't think any replaces the other. I've said this yeah. before. And also, if you look out, everyone, people are constantly doing this. I'm waving, waving their arms, I'm just back waving, and forth. trying to wake up the connect. Yeah. It's Hello, Hello in there. <laughs> we have we have dozens of Xbox developer units, and um. It's a challenge programming. And you guys are working on stuff like the Netflix app and the HBO? Not Netflix. They did theirs. Um, oh, okay. But we did the biggest app we have out now, I think right now, that I can talk about is HBO. Mm-hmm. So we built that for, for them. Great client. So what does the app do? Too. Well, it, you know, if you're an HBO subscriber or you have access to HBO through your cable provider, you can watch it on any number of devices, including your Xbox. Mm-hmm. And you can interact with it. You can watch you know, Breaking Bad or my favorite, Eastbound and Down. Um, you, can, you can interact with it. Um, you control it either with a traditional joystick thingy. What do you call them? 
the controllers. Xbox controller. controller. Oh, it's yeah. called a controller. Yes. Yeah. What a controller concept. with a controller. It's really late here in Utah. Nice. Um, or you talk to it or you wave to it mm-hmm. or you do dance dance revolution in front of yeah. it. Yeah. And so you, you're using metadata, right? Uh, laid over the screen so that you can interact with it in some way. Is that what? No, we're just doing, you're not it's doing like any hardcore C sharp programming. Or it's, it's so no, 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 I actually. mean like uh, programming data about, about what you're seeing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you can like go and search, browse, right. cue, pause, rewind. Right, right, right. Et cetera. It's just TV shows. Yeah, it's just people seem to like this stuff, though. Okay. Some good content. Cool, man. I have enjoyed my my Netflix client, which I can actually get in Canada yeah. uh, via the Xbox. The Netflix client for the web is great right now. Mm-hmm. They did an update, and it's still Silverlight. It's fantastic. The problem is I don't know who's still at the helm with Silverlight uh, mm-hmm. and I, maybe Netflix. I, but, don't, yeah, I don't know that anybody is, yeah. really. I think Silverlight is where Silverlight is. I And I find it frustrating in that sense that it's every time I see a Silverlight app, I'm still impressed with it. Yeah. They're very yep. good bits well, of software. HTML the only thing wrong with it, it just doesn't go to iPhones, really. That's the only problem. Yeah, yeah. No, it probably shouldn't. No, no, no. But you know what I'm saying? Like, technologically, it's wonderful technology. Yeah. yeah. It still yeah. does live video really well, mm-hmm. as you can see Sunday night yeah. on NBCSports.com. <laughs> Thank and you just, you know, remind us yes. about that app. Yes, that's a Silverlight video player that Vertigo built for them. It's Emmy nominated it's i think we're in our fourth season of sunday night football for nbc yeah. and it's rock solid and you can watch different camera views at the same time and yep you can pause choose and four video camera the best one is that little floating orb oh, that yeah. goes around the field you can watch the whole game from that perspective that's the one where you can chase the kickoff ball down the oh, field yeah. like it's amazing and what's great is that the broadcast camera cuts during the commercial but if you leave it on those other cameras especially during halftime, well, the camera operators have to clean the lens, so they'll bring it down. And all of a sudden, there's this, like, big union guy <laughs> with, a like, with a squirt bottle rubbing the, rubbing the camera down. And then so, they send it back up. It's there really is an inherent problem with this, you know. Um, football fans and geeks, the, the intersection. You know, what's the union of football fans and Well, geeks? I know what that number is, but I, it's, it's proprietary information. Nice. <laughs> it's a good number. It's the fact RFL it's still going strong. Really low? I, t- I tell you, there, there's a big, there's two types of network programming that's very profitable. Live sports and reality television. Hmm. Yeah. Reality TV, because you don't have to pay those pesky writers or the talent. Or the, the musicians. The camera at. Actually. Yeah, the musicians, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so those two things are profitable. We'll see more of it. That's we'll see lots of sports programming, everything, like curling even. Did you know? <sighs> speaking of reality television, that the Franklin Brothers album "Lifeboat to Nowhere" has been licensed by Discovery Networks for all of their shows on all thirteen networks, plus a whole bunch of TV shows, about twelve other TV shows, including I'm doing this from memory, uh, the Kardashians. Uh, both Kardashian shows, um, Bad Girls Club, Bad Girls Need Love Too, uh, <laughs> shows that I don't even know what they are. Yes. Yeah. There's a theme There's here. A theme? Yeah, exactly. Wow. But uh, I, don't, I don't know why awesome they crunch. chose Lifeboat to Nowhere, but uh, we were working with uh, somebody who got us licensed. So you may hear, you know, some of our tunes. Yeah. If you I do, will, let me it. know. I will. Because I won't be watching. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that's a show. Yeah, I think we ought to. Thank you, Scott. Big hand for Scott Stanfield. And hey, we'll see you next time on .NET Rock! Yeah!